How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 180 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, well, it's X-Force Day, and uh, I don't have much of a pre-ramble prepared, so uh, we might as well just, uh, I guess, hop on in. Today is X-Force Volume 6, number 18, which had a May 2021 cover date. Stories called Shadows of the Mind, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Gary Brown, not uh, not Joshua Kassara this time out. Colors Guru EFX. Letters VC's Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro, Basso, White, Sobolski, cover price $3.99. And this one went on sale on St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 2021. Now we open this issue with uh, Black Tom Cassidy uh, asleep, and he's dreaming of being tickled by the juggernaut and his sausage-sized fingers. Huh, so maybe that's why Kane isn't allowed here, I don't know. He's then stirred awake by a cracka-cracka sound, and he sees a well, slender man in the distance. Well, sorta. It's almost definitely whatever monstrous form of Quentin Quire that Zeno made to cause trouble. Now, this causes him concern for several reasons, including the fact that uh, he wasn't alerted to this foreign presence by the uh, veg of Krakoa. He wonders if he's been cut off from the island, and I think then he's consumed by the foliage. At least that's the way it looks. I'm not entirely sure. Double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred follows, and we've got Black Tom, Sage, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Beast, Kid Omega, and Phoebe Cuckoo. And we pick back up over at the Green Lagoon, where Sage is fairly drunk. And you know, credit where it's due here. It's actually been a minute since we've had a character getting sloppy drunk in these books. It felt like for a little while there. I mean, it was... Every issue, somebody would have to crack one open, but uh, it feels like it's been a little while, so uh, I guess we'll allow it, as if we have any say to begin with. Now, later on during the issue, it's going to be alluded to that Sage might just have a drinking problem because she's been drinking a lot. I don't know if this is headed for very special issue territory, but uh, I guess we can just keep our fingers crossed. Anyway, she asks Blob, who is Sans Handlebar Mustache here, uh, for another And he cuts her off. And she starts singing a song about Blobs and goes to leave. Blob reaches over to help her, but what she sees is like a demonic entity. You know, almost like a uh, Sienkiewicz light sort of a demon. And it looks not unlike what the uh, folks on that cruise ship saw last issue here, where they were kind of just like deformed versions of characters that we know. And this one, of course, is the Blob. Now Tessa, she gets up. And she grabs an unfinished drink off of a table and guzzles it down, only to find that it's uh, full of blood and worms from the looks of it. I figure that that can't be right. I, maybe she's still just seeing things. 
Next stop, the Summer House. Here, Wolverine's having a cup of coffee when he's approached by a very off-model Jean Grey. She tells him that it's too late to drink coffee, to which he brings up a really good point here. He responds by saying that, Hey, you know what? We're always a step through a portal away from being any time of day. So what does time even matter anymore? It's a pretty interesting statement there, isn't it? Also, he's still dealing with the Vampire Nation stuff in his own book, so nighttime is the right time. Naturally, it should come as no surprise that there is no editorial footnote to direct anyone not in the know to Wolverine's solo book, but that's kind of the way this goes. Anyway, Logan and Jean kiss, during which Jean sees Wolverine as a monster, kind of like the ones we've been seeing, and pulls away. And it's a pretty gross scene here. It looks like a Wolverine like bit like her bottom lip off, but uh, I'm thinking that that probably didn't happen. Uh, before they can talk about this, Scott enters and asks if Jean's coming to bed. And, uh... Boy, I hate this thruple that we're in here with uh, Scott, Logan, and Gene. This is... They need to they need to pick a lane here. From here, we go back to Krakoa, and I'm guessing it's the next day because it is daylight. Quentin and his cuckoo hang glide over to the point in order to chat out Beast and Sage about everything that went down last issue. The Jumbo Carnation attack, the cruise ship stuff, I figure it's all that kind of stuff. And it's worth noting that there is an editor's note pointing us to the last issue for the details. So uh, there you go. These notes are a little bit scattershot, but I will take them where I can get them. Now, upon arrival, they find that Beast had recently suffered a stroke. So he's on the ground. Quentin and Phoebe, they figure they'll, you know, take him to the healing gardens and get him, get him fixed up. But they are stopped by Sage. She, uh, well, she's no longer drunk, so again, this is probably the next day. She says that she and Beast have an agreement, just in case anything like this were to happen. She offers Quentin and Phoebe the opportunity to download her thoughts to get filled in. Now, it turns out that Sage was unable to sleep the night before because an entity kept trying to bully its way into her dreams. Phoebe, for some reason, refers to Sage as being cold, which, despite being 100% true and perhaps even an understatement, seems to get under Sage's skin just a little bit. Now, these next few pages are a little bit strange. It's almost like everyone is just finishing everybody else's sentences here. I'm not sure if this is intentional, like that they're all kind of using the same mind or they're all kind of inside the same memories here. It is pretty confusing, but we will do our best to navigate it. Now, Quentin and Phoebe, they came to the point in order to warn Beast of this psychic entity. This is an entity that can attack from anywhere. doesn't need Krakoan gates to travel because it it assaults the mind. Quentin asks if he can see surveillance footage of the point to see what happened to Beast, to which we learn that uh, there ain't any, because X-Force, being the CIA of Krakoa, can't risk having any of their discussions or activities leaked. And that's a fair enough point there. Quentin decides that he will then become the camera and take a peek into Beast's mind. Which, I mean, for Quentin Choir, wouldn't that be... Wouldn't that, like, be option A? Like, no need to announce it or wait for surveillance footage. He normally would have done that by now. Maybe he's hesitant, as he has a kind of a rough idea that the baddie in this story is going to be revealed as a version of himself. But we'll get there. Now they pop into the nebulous shadow room, and Quentin, who's apparently Phoebe's phallic tool, gets right down to it. And yes, they they make a comment that he is uh, her tool. Um, uh, We flash back to the night before, where Sage calls it a night and prepares to head down to the Green Lagoon to get wasted. We saw that. Now Hank comments that uh, this is kind of becoming a habit for her, 
to which she justifies it as being the only way she can slow down her brain and get a bit of peace. And yeah, that's uh, what they all say. Now once Tessa is gone, Beast decides, uh, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. And he falls asleep and begins to dream. He dreams of his furry self as a kid. You know, he wasn't furry as a kid, but here, in his dream, he is. He's in a classroom where the teacher is constantly berating him and putting him down for being stupid. The teacher turns out to be that demonic Quentin Choir. Beast fought off the psychic assault valiantly, which is likely why he wound up suffering the stroke. We go back to the shadow room, and Quentin asks Sage for confirmation that he is the bad guy. And Sage is all, yeah, no duh you are. It's a, well, not him exactly, but a version of him, a form of him, a piece of him. Phoebe tells Quentin that he's not that guy anymore, so don't really dwell on it. She then asks Sage if they've ever faced anything like this before. Sage recalls their semi-recent run-in with the Pale Girl, which, uh, despite their duh being no editorial footnote to point us there, was from the opening arc of Wolverine Volume 7. Quentin brushes this off, though, because the Pale Girl was nothing. She wasn't nothing here, because right now they're dealing with an Omega. Now, at this point, Beast is mumbling. He's attempting to beg for death, because he is awake, he's just unable to function. Quentin refuses to give him his sweet release. However, as he walks away, Sage saunters over and breaks Hank's neck, killing him. You see, this was uh, their agreement. It was should either of their minds become compromised in any way, one would kill the other. And uh, this feels like it's supposed to be a lot more poignant and smart than it actually is. It's, uh, you know, really just further exploitation of the resurrection protocols. And if I'm not mistaken here, this is, I want to say, Beast's first ever death. So for a character with just just shy of 60 years under his belt, um, this should be a far bigger deal than it actually is turning out to be. From here we go to an info page where Sage explains what's going on, rendering much of this issue redundant. She calls back the Domino being held captive by Zeno and having bits and pieces of herself used to make others. We saw the Domino clone, right? And we also see that uh, she had some of her skin grafted onto the the Zeno agents, those Reaver-alikes there. And uh, she, uh, Sage that is, suggests that Zeno has done the very same with Quentin. And since Quentin has died like a hundred times, it's hard to know just how bad this might become. She's unsure if there are any unknown effects remaining in their minds from these psychic assaults as well, so she doesn't know if this uh, this evil Quentin Choir clone left a mark. She isn't sure. It's something she's going to observe and report on from this point on. Back to comics, and we're at the Sunset Cliffs, where Quentin and Phoebe have themselves a chat. QQ deduces that the entity attacks when he sees a vulnerability. So like when they're sleeping, or dead tired, or sloppy drunk, I suppose. He suggests that it's waiting for him in the astral plane. And so our next stop is the astral plane. Quentin finds himself in a Xeno lab littered with body-filled canisters. Naturally, he is confronted with the the twisted Xeno-made version of himself. We jump back to reality to see that he's begun to seize and foam at the mouth. To which it's like, oh no, Quentin Quire might die. Again. For the 118th time But that is where we end the story But we do have an info page to close us out And it's more from Sage Now it's a logbook where she shows us That she keeps track of everything So in the interest of uh, completeness um, Here are some Sage statistics 
Over the course of her life, she has petted 325 dogs. She's drank 7,653 cups of chai. She's almost stepped on one landmine as a child, which actually is a callback to, a, uh, to an older story. She's eaten 629 pomegranates, and of those 629, there were an average of 998 seeds in them. She's owned 34 pairs of glasses. She's uh, cried listening to Purcell's aria, Dido's Lament, 12 times. She's danced to Mariah Carey 671 times. Yeah, right. Picks or it didn't happen. She's been kissed by two people who really meant it and 22 who did not. So here's the thing. Despite the fact that she can quantify almost everything in her life, she's actually lost count of how many drinks she consumes in a given evening. So, uh... I think we are headed for a uh, sloshy sage storyline. But that'll do it for this issue, and next time out we're going to be working our way toward the tail end of the uh, cable volume, so look forward to that. But for now, let's talk some X-Force. Well, this was just kind of a uh, there issue, wasn't it? Uh, not a whole lot to get excited about in either direction, really. Feels like, um, I mean, and I've said this just about every episode of late, it feels like we're just... Uh, we're getting ourselves to the Hellfire Gala at this point, and we're uh, we're kind of just uh, treading water here. And to do this with the Quentin story, I mean, it does help to mature the character. Uh, whether or not that's needed, I guess our mileage will probably vary. But so I come away from this issue with uh, three main takeaways here. Uh, the top uh, the topmost uh, takeaway is the death of Beast. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I very well might be. I don't think Beast has ever died before. And he's been around since 1963, so long, long, long time. And his first death, that, as far as I can tell, happens here in a very underwhelming sort of way. No sort of, uh, no ceremony to it. No, no real feeling of loss, because we know he's going to be back right away. I mean, there was a mention in one of the info pages that Sage has to... Come up with a cover story for a little while while they're you know still cooking the new McCoy. So it's a uh, I don't know I, I I I've complained about this a lot. I feel like it's becoming uh, broken record territory here. But the resurrection protocols here uh, we're relying on them way too much. And I understand that they are kind of the overarching angle right now, right? This is the tool. This is the the premise. This is the concept. So if it's there and you don't use it, then I mean, I'd probably be calling them out for not using it. I feel like we, I feel like there is a way to kind of govern and calibrate, but uh, maybe not next force. I don't know. Um, as much as I've hated Beast uh, over the past uh, Several months, several years actually By the way he's been depicted I still didn't want to see him die this way I feel like if you're gonna do it It should have been maybe a little less throwaway Because I don't know that this story Is going to have far-reaching and lingering effects here It's just uh, another Zeno thing And I mean, Zeno's been around for Two years now, just about And we still know <laughs> very little about them We, I don't think we know anything new That we haven't figured out in issue three or four of this volume It's just, oh, they have body shops all over the place And they are, uh, well, doing the only thing that they've done Since they've been introduced at this point So, not a fan of killing Beast in this way Not a fan of killing any character in this sort of way I Just, it, it cheapens everything And it's one of those things, and I've said this again This is another Chris Chestnut How do you walk this back? You know, it's... 
I, I think it was Evan who had the uh, theory that the real X-Men are all in stasis underground in Krakoa right now. So, And, and it's scary. I, I think that's the only way you can do this. It's going to feel like a cop-out and a slap to, the, slap to the face, but I think it's the only way you can organically uh, walk all of this back here so we can be like, oh, so Quentin Quire didn't die 115 times, and, and Jean Grey didn't die an extra five times, and Wolverine didn't die an extra three times. I think that's the only way we can do this. I, I mean, I feel like we're at a rock and a hard place here, but uh, nah, you know, we'll worry about that as we get closer to uh, to uh, whatever reveals are yet to come. Another takeaway I got here is uh, Sage's alcoholism, and this is something that I've kind of mentioned a whole lot during these uh, during these issues here. Uh, these characters drinking and and reveling and just uh, having themselves a good time all the time. And how, and I hate the word problematic, but how problematic that could possibly be. But I'll give them this. Sage, her whole gimmick here is that she's got a computer for a brain, right? If you're going to be constantly revving and running at, uh, at full cerebral speed and pace here, it might stand to reason that you try to self-medicate. So in Sage's situation, I can appreciate her imbibing. Because she's just looking for peace This isn't like uh, drinking her troubles away This is just drinking to normalcy You know, this is her trying to just Shut the computer down for a bit Slow the computer down a little bit So for her, it makes a whole lot of sense And I I appreciate that that's kind of the angle they're going in here You had uh, Beast call her out for it It's like, hey, you know, you're making a habit About uh, to going to the Green Lagoon every night And she's like, you know, I can't slow it down you know, I can't slow down the brain, so this is all I can do. The only way I can do it. So I like that. I like that. I think it's a. a I think it's an appropriate uh, use of this sort of uh, addiction angle, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes here. Despite not really caring for the sage character all that much, uh, the final takeaway here is uh, Quentin's maturity. Um, I still don't like the new costume. I think that that takes away a lot of what made Quentin Quire Quentin Quire. He's supposed to be the the malcontent, right? The nonconformist, the one who's going to wear the ugly T-shirt. And here he is in spandex, you know? He's in in an actual uniform. Just don't like that. But it is a way to uh, physically uh, show that he's trying to make changes in his life here because had he... You know, remained in his regular slacker clothes or his hipster clothes or however you want to label those, his clothes, and just said, "You know, I'm a different person now." It really doesn't. It really doesn't sink in quite as much as it does seeing him in a you know fully regaled you know X Force costume. Where, okay, I'm going to behave differently, and I'm also going to look differently. So uh, you can actually see the fact that. I've made changes, and I'm in the process of, uh, you know, metamorphosizing, for lack of a better term here. So I still don't know if I want to see Quentin Quire do this. I don't know if I want him to be just another guy. I don't know that uh, that's necessarily the the direction that we're headed in here, but um, that's another one of the things I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, For all we know, uh, we, I mean, we saw that... Right before X attends, Quentin Quire was yanked through the portal by uh, Mikhail, and we didn't see him die, you know? So there may very well be the real Quentin Quire out there, uh, and this one might just be uh, retroactively a dupe. 
So that could definitely lead to some uh, lead us down some interesting paths here. I just hope that it's not going to do it around the same time that Prodigy meets his former self. And uh, as it feels like these books, whether they're planned to do this or not, are we're telling similar stories. You know, it feels like we're going to be if we're going to explore an angle, like two or three of the books at once are going to do it. Like. We're going to all go to Madripoor, but for different reasons, and not show up in each other's stories. Here we have Quentin and a cuckoo. Uh, in Cable, we have Cable and a cuckoo. It's, I don't know. I guess we'll, again, we'll just wait and see. Uh, one last thing. I really didn't uh, dig the art all that much in this issue. Um, this felt like the uh, that episode of Seinfeld with the Two-Face, right? Uh, where Jerry, I think it was the Festivus episode where Jerry's dating a woman who... In certain lights and in certain situations Looks one way, but In other lights and in other angles Like, her her features are sunken And she looks, uh, like, just really unpleasant uh, That's kind of what this art is to me Because there were certain pages here that looked good And then you get to another one Like, the uh, the Jean one jumps out uh, Immediately uh, Seeing that Jean Grey was just like, whoa That was very, very off-model to me And uh, didn't like looking at it And there were a few pages like that But again, there were a few pages that weren't like that So, kind of a two-face of an issue, uh, art-wise But uh, nothing uh, nothing to get too wound up about Uh, Overall, not a bad issue Not a bad issue for what I'm projecting on it to be a water-treading issue So, definitely worth a flip-through if you are so inclined But uh, that's all I got to say about this issue of X-Force And, uh that's all I got for you today. So if you'd like to reach out to me, say hello, say anything you'd like. Uh, feel free to find me on Twitter. I'm easy to find there. I'm Ace Comics. You can also shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find us on Facebook. 90s X-Men is our little group. Also Instagram, 90s X-Men. And finally... For all your Chris and Reggie comic listening needs, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that is anywhere you can find sound and noise on the internet. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, maybe share it around, maybe spread the word. I would appreciate any help in that regard, because I am terrible at that. So uh, I would thank you so much to help me. (laughs) And uh, I'll also like to thank you for sharing some of your time with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.